I told you we're gonna, we were going to start back in January into our first Corinthians. We're now planning to do that in March. When things are locked down and things are difficult, my role as pastor is call me the encourager. My job is to keep you encouraged. My job is to keep you focused on God. My job is to keep you having faith in God. And everybody said? My job is to keep you from focusing on the storm, the wind and the waves, and to keep you focused on Jesus who will help you walk on the proverbial water. Now, a few weeks ago in prayer, I felt God beginning to speak to me a new little mini-series, telling me, get the people ready to run. Everybody shout, get ready to run. Now, I've done a lot of studying on, this, on these concepts through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation since then, and I want to begin to share some truths with you. Because I truly believe as we come out of this COVID-19 thing, God is going to restore all that has been lost. And you are going to see such an amazing time of acceleration, such an amazing time of open doors and opportunities. But all of that will be lost unless you're ready to run. Everybody say, get ready to run. As we come out of this thing, you're going to be entering into one of the busiest times of your life. Now, some Christians won't be ready for it. And they're going to come out of two years of lockdown like an old grizzly bear going coming out of winter hibernation, kind of staggering around and, well, I guess I should think about doing something. And those opportunities are just going to pass you by. One of the things I've always taught you about open doors is open doors do not stay open. Oh, the Bible says, Pastor, God opens a door that no man can shut. That's right, no man can shut it. But God doesn't keep it open forever. We have to move through open doors. And everybody said? So everybody shout, get ready to run. Everybody shout it again. Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured, endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, over the next few weeks, I'm going to begin to teach you about the great arena of life, that we stand in a great arena being watched by a heavenly cloud of witnesses. And that's all we're going to focus on today. Remember, we have to run shorter services right now. Next week, I'm going to begin to teach you about the preparation to run the race. And then lastly, over the next few weeks, I'm going to teach you how to run the race. Now, as we get started, I want you to remember that God is watching us. Everybody shout, God is watching us. Now, now we know that truth. We, we've studied it all through the years. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, my favorite verse on the subject. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to strongly give support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. I love that. Everybody say, God is watching me to support me. 
He's not watching you to watch you suffer. He's not watching over you to, to watch you fail. He's watching you for the purpose of strongly supporting you. Everybody say, he's my supporter. Genesis 28, verse 15, Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. He made this promise to Jacob. He said, For I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised for you. Job, chapter 34, verse 21, For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. 1 Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Did you hear that? How many people here are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Wave your hand at me. Wave your hand at me. Now, if you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then Peter says, the eyes of the Lord are on you. Everybody said, God's watching me. And his ears are open to your prayers. I like that. Let me give you another verse. Proverbs 5, verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and on the good. Psalms 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. Now, back in the early 80s, Leia Salonga used to sing a song. And I liked Leia Salonga. I knew her uncle. But she sang this song. God is watching us from a distance. Oh, I hate that. God is not watching you, beloved, from a distance. God is right there with you. Everybody say, he's with me. Jesus said, I will be with you to the ends of the age. He's watching you. He's standing right next to you, watching you. He's there to support you. He's there to help you. He's here to, there to hear your prayer. He's there to hear the cry of your heart. You have to understand, you do not walk alone in this world. You walk with God. Now, we know that truth. But I want to expand that a little bit more. I want you to understand that it's not just God watching you. All of heaven is watching you. Everybody say, all of heaven. Now look there at verse 1, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now the Greek word for witness here is the Greek word martyr. It literally means to see and to talk about, to observe and to speak about. So when we talk about surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, I want you to understand, heaven is not just watching you. Heaven is talking about you. Everybody say, the saints of heaven are watching me and talking about me. Now, beloved, I, I want to stress this. Because in order for you to understand the strength of what Paul is trying to teach here, we have to deal with an issue in our lives. We are all concerned about what other people see and what other people say about us. Is that correct? Is that correct? 
from the time we were little children. Mommy, Daddy, watch me. Later, peer pressure begins to come in with young people in school. And young people are very concerned about what their friends will say about their clothes as their friends watch them, what their friends will say about what they're doing. They recognize people are watching and people are talking. They recognize family members are watching and family members are talking. And this becomes a very controlling part of our life. God is not the controller of our life. Peer pressure is. Paul says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, don't be conformed anymore by this world. And the word there for conform means to be put in a box. Everybody say, put in a box. What the world wants to do by watching you and talking about you is to control you. Everybody shout, control me. But what you have to understand is you choose which audience is important to you. Whoa. Everybody say, choose which audience is important to me. There is the audience of the people of this world, which, forgive me, are temporary. Everybody say, temporary. People are only going to live 70 or 80 years. What goes on in this life is temporary. What goes on in heaven is eternal. Now sometimes when I talk to young people, and I talk to young people about, you know, why are you getting this funky attitude with your parents? And I sit down with young people and I say, now listen, these friends who want to tell you to do this and do this and do this and do this, I said, if you were in the hospital, would your friends pay your hospital bill? No. Who'd pay your hospital bills? My parents. If you need food, will your friends feed you? No. Who feeds you? My parents. Who pays your tuition bill? Your friends or your parents? My parents. I said, who, what is more important? People who are committed to your permanent life or people who are just passing through your life? Now the same truth is with this. What is the more important audience? The temporary audience of this world or the people we will spend eternity with in heaven? If we're going to be concerned about who's watching and what they're saying, what's more important to us? The people of this world or the saints of heaven. Now you and I have to understand that we stand in a great arena of this earth. And though we cannot see them, all of heaven is not sitting around bored out of their minds, locked down in heaven, sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Heaven is watching us. Everybody say, heaven is watching. And heaven is talking about us. They are very cognizant of everything that happens on this earth. So Paul said, listen, get a grip on this. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now let's break this down a little bit more. Who is this great cloud of witnesses? Well, who has he just been talking about? He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what has he just been saying? Chapter 11, the great heroes of faith chapter in the Bible. He said, these people are watching us. These people are talking about us. Now, now think with me about some of these. We won't go through all of them or we'll be here all night. And we'll never get this miniseries done. Look at verse 4, the first hero of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. And, though, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Okay, look at that. Here is a man who was assassinated for his generosity. He was killed for his offering. You are going to find that there are people who want to give to God whatever they want to give, and that was Cain's problem. Cain wanted to give whatever he wanted to give, just I'm going to do what I want to do. But Abel brought an offering acceptable to God. And notice, the people that want to give whatever they want to give hate people who give the right kind of offerings to God. And Cain killed his brother Abel. So please forgive me. Some of you get criticized by family and friends. They criticize you. They, they watch your giving. And they criticize you. And they get angry at you. You should have given that money to me. They get angry at you. And Abel stands up there in heaven and says, Yo, everybody come over here. Here's another person who brings offerings acceptable to God. Are we still here? And heaven begins to talk about you. And when you get to heaven, people like Abel and those people who watched you do it are going to walk up to you and say, I watched you. I watched you when you brought that offering to God. I watched you when you didn't give just whatever you wanted to give, but you gave that which was precious. You gave that which God asked of you. I watched you do that. And I just want to salute you and say, job well done. Abel is watching the giving and a lot of other things. You look at Enoch in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken up, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, this Enoch guy is amazing. He will be one of the two witnesses in Revelation because it's appointed unto a man once to die, and he never died. He will be one of the two prophets, the two witnesses in the temple courts during the Great Tribulation. But this is a guy that pleased God. And he's standing up there in heaven watching us. Ah, oh, there's another pleaser. There's another person who cares about pleasing God. Yo, heaven, come around, let's watch. Here's another person who pleases God. Take it a little farther. Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, 
and reverent fear constructed an ark for saving his, of his household. By this he condemned the world and having become an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Other translation says he was a preacher of righteousness. Noah stood alone in the world. Everybody say stood alone. He stood alone in the world. How much mocking did he go through because he chose to live a righteous life? And he stands there in heaven and he watches you. He watches you in the call centers where everybody's making fun of you young people because you don't go have sex in the rest areas and you, you don't use shabu and you're not smoking marijuana during the break and they're making fun of you because you live a holy life and you're not going to get drunk and you feel all alone. Noah is up there, this guy who stood alone in the whole world, and he's watching you. I care about what somebody like that thinks. And everybody said? And everybody said? Some of you, all alone in your family, living a righteous life. Heaven is watching you. Abraham, I love Abraham. In verses 8, in a long passage, we won't even begin to unpack all of the stuff about Abraham. Abraham was the man who obeyed God, and he went to a place to receive it as inheritance, and he believed God even when everything in the world said it's not going to happen. He chose to face the fact and still choose to believe. Abraham is standing up there in heaven watching you. He's watching you when you believe, when everything else says it'll never happen. He's watching you when you stand in faith. Believing God, facing the facts, there's no way that this can happen, but I still choose to believe because God said. Amen. Abraham is standing there in heaven as a witness, watching your life, talking about your life. Moses, oh my goodness, so much about Moses. Hebrews 11:23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses walked out of Pharaoh's household and chose to identify with the people of God. He, he gave up all of his wealth and success to lead the people of God. He watches you. Some of you as leaders... You've walked away from a lot of things simply to be a connect group leader, simply to be a leader. And Moses watches that. Moses says, there's another person who's willing to give up everything to lead the people of God and to identify with the people of God. Moses, Moses is watching. Moses, the, oh my goodness, there's so much. I don't dare get into all of these. Verse 32, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, King David, Samuel, and the prophets are all watching us and talking about us. Hebrews eleven thirty-two. 32. Imagine that. Samuel, when God speaks to you and you say, here I am, Samuel goes, oh, there's another one who's learning how to listen to the voice of God. King David, a man after God's own heart. Every time you sing the song, I want a heart like that, and you ask God to give you a heart that always wants to serve, that wants to lead the people of God into the promises, David is watching. Oh, my goodness. And then you get to verse 36 to 38. Others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and sawn in two and were killed with the sword. 
They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. But they're in heaven today. They gave up everything. They gave up everything to stand true to God. And these are the people watching. We won't even begin to get into our ancestors who died in the Lord. My grandpa is watching me preach right now. I'm going, I taught Davy how to outline like that. And he's talking about me in heaven. Are we still here? Are we still here? Your godly grandmother who prayed for you all of your life. Prayed you into the kingdom. Watching you sit here in the service tonight. Coming out in the middle of COVID lockdown to be in the house of God. I taught my granddaughter to be faithful to God like that. Brothers and sisters, you've got to get a hold of this revelation that it really doesn't matter what the world sees, that it really doesn't matter what the world says about us. What matters is what heaven sees and what heaven says about us. Are we still here? Choose your audience. Everybody shout, choose what audience is important to me. I don't care about what the people of this world think and say and see. I care about what heaven sees. I care about what heaven says. Now take a look at applying this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since heaven is watching, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run. Let us do what? It didn't say let us sleep. It didn't say let us take a nap. It didn't say let us take a vacation. It didn't say let us retire and quit. Moses, 80 years old when he began his ministry. Aaron, 83 to 84, looks down at us and says, excuse me, why, why, are, you, why are you sitting around in a rocking chair? I didn't even get started till I was 80. Heaven is watching. And because heaven is watching, Paul said, let us run. Let us do what? The Greek word there, trecho, means to rush, to advance, to exert oneself, to strive, to make progress, to move rapidly. He said, because heaven is watching, let's relax. Let's use COVID-19 as an excuse to just do nothing and, you know, we're going to take a couple of years, siesta. He said, because heaven is watching, let us walk slowly so they can get a good look at us. No. Beloved, it says, let us run. Let us do what? I, I didn't hear you. Now, this is how Paul describes the Christian life. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run to obtain it. Paul talks about it at the end of his life. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. He's going, to be, he's going to go to heaven very shortly after he writes this. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept 
the faith. Now notice that. Paul said, I finished the race. Paul knew when the race was over. Paul knew when he had done everything that God wanted him to do. See, I'm just a silly person. I believe that there's a point at the end of our lives as God begins to get us ready for heaven that we know I've done what God wants me to do. I fulfilled, as King David said, I fulfilled my purpose in this earth. We know that we have done it. And now it's time to enter into the rest of our labors. Heaven is a place of rest. We cease our labors. But while on this earth, we run. We do what? We do what? Young man was looking at me one day and said, Pastor Sumrall, will you ever slow down? No. Pastor Sumrall, we need to go a little. Why? Why go slower? Why do you want to go so slow? Well, Pastor Sumrall, you know, we want to enjoy our life. No, I want to run the race. I mean, please forgive me, beloved. This world is such a short time for us. This world is not about relaxing and taking it easy. This is a race that we are in. And he says, run to obtain the prize. Now, there will come a point in time when we know that we're done. But until then, we run. Everybody shout, get ready to run. Now, seniors, let me talk to you for just a minute. I'm almost out of time. Seniors, something happens in people's brains. Back in the early 80s, when I first became your pastor, the retirement age, especially for laborers, was 40. Do you remember those days? When people hit 40 years old, they quit working, and their children supported them. And I used to sit down with guys and say, listen, why are you doing this? Your kids can't get married because they're busy supporting you. You're still strong. No, I'm 40 years old. It's time, to, it's time to rest. Now people work a little bit longer. But even today, you get 60 and people think you're dead. You seniors at home, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me just give you a, a few facts. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? The New England Journal of Medicine published a report. Their big research study, quote, the most productive age in a man's life is between the age of 60 and 70. The second most productive age in a man's life is between the age of 70 and 80. The third most productive age in a man's life is between the age of 50 and 60. Why is it that productivity is so much greater as we get older? Because we get wiser. We've made all our mistakes. We've gotten an education. God has been able to work on our hearts and fix our hearts. <laughs> Let me add a few more details. The average age of a Nobel Prize winner is 62. The average age of a CEO in a Fortune 500 company is 63. Are you ready for the next one? 
The average age of the pastors of the 100 largest churches in the United States is 71. Yeah, I got a long time to go. Seniors, please forgive me, but some of you need to look at your children and say, I'm 60, I'm not dead. Some of you seniors need to look at your children and say, listen, I don't want to sit in this rocking chair for the rest of my life. I've got many years left ahead of me. Maybe I'm retired from my company, but I'm not retired from the kingdom of God. And there's a cloud of witnesses watching me. You got Moses and Aaron up there. They didn't even start until they were 80. Are we still here? Seniors, most of you are home listening. Time to get out of that rocking chair in the name of Jesus and time to run. You look at that church up in Isabella. It was pioneered by a senior. Are we still here? Got another church pioneered in Zamboanga. It was pioneered by a member who's almost a senior. Not quite, but almost a senior. What would happen? What kind of force could be released upon the world if seniors came out of spiritual retirement and began to build the kingdom of God? Some of you seniors, please forgive me. I have no criticism for you. I'm a senior. I'm 65. But some of you seniors, all, all you're doing is laying around waiting to die, getting weaker and weaker. God's, as your days are, the Bible says, as your days are, so shall your strength be in Jesus' name. What would happen to some of you seniors? You've been connect group leaders for 30 years. You know more about pastoring than these young pastors that we train. What would happen if some of you went out and just, okay, I'm going to start a church in Jesus' name? What would happen if some of you seniors said, Pastor, I want to take this area of the city and I'm going to really work on developing all the connect groups in this area of the city. I'm retired now, Pastor, and I want to just give myself to training leaders and building leaders and passing on all that God has taught me. What kind of a force would be unleashed in the earth? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Young people, too often you push the seniors out of the way because you're not willing to work and build things for yourself and you just want to take over what somebody else has built. Young people, please, learn from the seniors. I didn't hear you. Learn from them. Don't push them out of the way. They'll show you how to build things. They'll show you how to grow things. Would you stand with me, please? <laughs> Anybody want to shoot me? Everybody shout, get ready to run. How old are you now? Yeah, how old? 51. Barangbata. Babes, how old are you? 59? 59. Brother Willie, how old are you? 58. 
Pastor Manalo. 56. 56. I won't go around and embarrass anybody else. They won't kill me. They love me. Beloved, get ready to run in Jesus' name. I wanted to stop here because I don't want you to lose that one big thought. What audience do you care about? I care about heaven. How many of you care about heaven? Would you take your communion, please? Oops, I've gone too long. Would you take your communion? Ulitanatan, this bread represents his body. Hung on a cross for me. Jesus didn't quit. No matter how difficult it became, he knew that cloud of witnesses was watching. He knew what he was doing for me. He never quit. He went through all of that to redeem me from the curse of the law, to take the punishment of my sins. I remember what he did for me. And by his grace, I also will never quit. I will finish the will of God for my life. Let us partake of the bread together. Ulitanatan, this cup represents the blood of Jesus that justified me, that brought me near to God, that washed away all my shame and all my sin, that I may serve a living God. I remember what He did for me. Let us partake of the cup together. How many of you want to do everything God wants you to do? We wear t-shirts around here saying, I will do anything. I remember one time I went down to a room and I was walking around by myself up in there. And they saw my t-shirt. Oh, you're the anything people. Okay, yeah, we're the anything people. Beloved... This world and this life is so short. Let's make sure we do what he wants us to do. Amen? Amen. He will bless you. 
He will bless you. He will bless you. He will bless you. He will bless you. But let's make sure we give ourselves wholly to him in Jesus' name.